Last opportunity that I will have on this conference week to address you. And I would like to say thank you again to the conveners uh, of this conference and to you as conference ease, if that's the right word, uh, for your kind words and questions and comments and challenges. <laughs> it's been good uh, to be with you again. Uh, and we would uh, ask you to remember us if the Lord lays us on your heart. Uh, in the morning, very early, we'll be leaving before breakfast and uh, driving back to San Francisco and then flying to Edmonton, Alberta. And we will start a weekend conference tomorrow night uh, in Edmonton. And uh, we'll go through the weekend. We'll have uh, only one meeting through the week, as far as I know right now. That often changes, as you know, Brother Randy. Uh, and then next week, starting on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, there is a long weekend. That's the Canadian Thanksgiving weekend and we'll be uh, responsible for another conference through those days. And then, Lord willing, flying back to Ottawa uh, on the 15th of October. So we have a little time left away. Uh, pray for one another. As the Lord brings us to your mind, we will remember you, and you do the same uh, for us. When the devil said to the Lord Jesus, I'll give you all of these kingdoms if you fall down and worship me, he responded by saying that you should only worship the Lord thy God and him only shall you serve. The devil never said anything about serving. He just said worship. There are many things you can consider in that temptation. One of the things perhaps you've not considered is the worth that the devil put on the Lord Jesus. How much was the Lord Jesus worth to the devil? I'm not sure if it was a legitimate uh, offer or not. There's a, a controversy about that. But nevertheless, let's take it for what it says. He said, I'll give everything if you fall down and worship me. I'll give everything. And in that sense, what was the Lord Jesus worth to the devil? It's, it's challenging, isn't it? What worth do we put on the Lord Jesus? What would we gladly relinquish, give up, walk away from, just to be occupied and in fellowship with him? Um, Another consideration was the devil said, you fall down and worship me. And the Lord Jesus responding by, by saying, only God you shall worship and him alone should you serve. You know, you can't serve two masters. If the Lord Jesus would have, which he couldn't, and he didn't want to, and he didn't, okay. But if he would have somehow agreed to that, then the one that he bowed down to is the one that he would serve. And so he would have no authority at all anyhow. The one that we worship is the one that we serve. And the Lord made it very clear, you can't serve two masters. And so we need to have it very clear in our minds. Very clear. 
who we serve. So this afternoon, I want to take you to Joshua 24, please. If you'd open your Bibles. Joshua chapter 24, last chapter in the book of Joshua. Joshua's final closing words to Israel. And actually at the end of the chapter, Joshua will, as he says earlier in his book, he'll go the way of all the earth. <laughs> uh, Joshua will uh, die. And then the next phase will start. But my emphasis this afternoon is on Joshua's last challenge to the people. He brings them to a crossroads. He's known them for years. I mean, this has been a long journey. And finally, they're in the land. And he brings them to a crossroads. He wants them to make an intelligent, rational, logical decision based on the evidence that he gives them. Okay? Um, Beginning in verse 1 and going down through verse 13 of Joshua 24, I'm going to suggest that you have one of the most concise um, passages in your Bible that gives us the history of the nation thus far. It starts with the call of Abraham, his father, and the call of Abraham. And it ends with them into the promised land. A very concise 13 verses uh, covers that uh, history of, of Israel. <clears throat> but, but we're not going to read that whole passage, but as we view that passage, I want to call your attention to a little phrase that is repeated over and over and over again. And it is the personal pronoun that the Lord uses God uses about himself, speaking of himself. For instance, look in verse 3. Uh, the Lord says, I took your father Abraham. I did it. Look in verse 4. And I gave unto Isaac, Jacob and Esau. And I gave unto Esau, Mount Seir. Verse 5. I sent Moses Again, I plagued Egypt. End of verse 5. I brought you out. Verse 6. I brought your fathers. Verse 7, near the end. Seen what I have done. Verse 8. And I brought you into the land. Later in verse 8. I gave them into your hand. Later. I destroyed them from before you. Verse 10. But I would not hearken unto Balaam later. So I delivered you out of his hand. And in verse 11, at the end, I delivered them into your hand. Verse 12, I sent the hornet. Verse 13. And I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you built not, and you dwell in them, and of vineyards, uh, and olive yards, which you planted not, so do you eat. I just want to make this one point. As God reminds them 
of the call of Abraham and his provision for them right to the very hour that they are there, he says, I did it. I want you to think back with me for a minute. Is there ever a time in your life that God failed? <laughs> no. You'd say, well, one time I thought he was going to fail, but he came through at the last minute, you know, right? God says, I did it. I did it. I called you. We heard about the covenants, the unbreakable covenants. God says, I'm going to do something. You can go to the bank with that. The promises of God are not mottos to be hung on the wall. They're checks to be carried to the bank and cashed. Now, I'm, we're not Israel. Let's understand a few things. Okay. We have to be careful what promises we claim. <laughs> but there's application as well. And so God says, uh, I called you and I provided for you and I did it and uh, I brought the children along and, and I built up the nation and, and I fought the battles and I ran out the enemies and I sent the bees and, and, he, and at the end he said, now look where you are. You're in a land that you did not inhabit. You're eating from gardens that you didn't plant. You're living in houses that you didn't build. I just want to remind you and through the lips of Joshua he does, I have done it. Oh, I have never failed. Okay, verse 14. Now, now that we've got that straight, <laughs> now that we understand that, now that we've got the background, now that there are no loopholes, uh, now that we understand that our God is in control and that he loves us and that he is moving in our behalf, now that we got that straight, now therefore... Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood. Or the God of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me, Joshua says, and my house, we will serve the Lord. At first glance, you'd say, well, that's a no-brainer. I mean, who in their right mind would say, oh, I'd like to serve a totem pole, you know, I mean, uh, some rocks. A few years ago, I was in Vancouver, and I was... One by a souvenir shop to pick up a guilt payment for the kids while I was gone, you know. And uh, T-shirts, okay. So I'm standing there and I'm looking up on the wall and uh, there was a window, except it didn't go anywhere. It was just notched into the wall. And there was a statue, some sort of a statue. It looked kind of like something like a Buddha, but it wasn't a Buddha. So when I got up to the front there, I said to the guy, I said, uh, excuse me, I said, what is that up there? And he said, oh, that's my God. I said, you got to be joking. He said, no. I said, where'd you get that God? He said, I brought that God from India. I said, oh, really? I said, uh, 
did you know your God can't move? <laughs> he just kind of went, yeah, I know. I, know, you know. I mean, it's a no-brainer, right? Why? Anybody that's got any intelligence at all, why would they choose the God of the Amorites or the Egyptians or the other side of the river or of the flood? Why? When there's so much evidence for God, a living God, a powerful God, a loving God, a kind God, a providing God. I mean, come on, Joshua, why are you even bothering with this? Because we struggle with it practically, not intelligently, practically. We say, oh, yeah, I mean, my goodness, I understand that, Brother Joe. Of course, we're serving God. And in verses 14 to verse 28, in those 15 verses, the word serve is mentioned 14 times. I think that's fairly important. The Hebrew word is not hard. It means to serve another. But it has this connotation, to be subject to a conqueror. That's what happened. One king battles another king. He comes over, bobs him on the head, takes his kingdom, brings all the people back, and they're subject to a conqueror. Okay? The Lord Jesus didn't twist our arm. However, he did convict us by his spirit. He didn't make you believe in him. The gospel of Jesus Christ gives us all the evidence that we need in order to make a, an intelligent decision. Christians don't check their brains. We're thinking people. I can't think of a plan. I can't Think of any situation in life that makes more sense than the gospel. Somebody died in your place. Somebody paid your guilt, your, the penalty of your sin. Someone has offered you an exchange. Think about this. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that I might become righteous. You see, he became something he never was, so I might become something I never was. He, don't get your theology mixed up. He didn't sin, but God treated him like a sinner. He assumed the sinner's place, and God treated him and judged him as though he were the sinner. And then through faith and believing that he died for me, that he rose again, for my justification, the Bible says, I get my sins forgiven and I inherit the righteousness of Christ. I get that standing before God. Wow. You say, well, that's, that's a no-brainer. The problem is, sin has blinded the eyes along with the enemy of our soul, our flesh, and the world around us so that we can't see that. You know, don't, don't expect your unsaved friends to understand the Bible. They can't. They can intellectually have a look at it. They can memorize it, but they can't get it. The Bible is very clear that you must have the Spirit of God in your heart in order to understand spiritual truth. 
I'll prove it to you. The greatest soul winner that ever walked on the face of the earth said to a man, Nicodemus, you must be born again. He says, Lord, I can't get that, he said. He was a teacher in Israel. He couldn't get it. Why couldn't he get it? You can't understand spiritual truth if you don't have the Spirit of God. What man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man that's in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man save the Spirit of God. Now, we've not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. Why? That we might know the things freely given to us of God. So what, what happens? You take a step of faith. That's the only cure for spiritual blindness. You must take a step of faith. Down here we live by faith, not by sight. You say, what is faith? Well, faith is not jumping off into the dark. Faith is not fate. Faith is not, well, I don't know, I just believe. No, no. Faith is reading this book and choosing to believe it. That's faith. Someone says, show me your faith. I said, it's right here. Let me read it for you. Faith, faith not only has action, but it has an object. And so as we place our faith, our trust, our belief into the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, we obey the scriptures. And so faith is in action, trusting. Okay. So we make an intelligent, rational, logical decision, but it's a decision of which we must exercise faith. So he brings them to the crossroads. He says, okay, choose today. What do you want? Let me retranslate this in case you think this is so easy. Let me just read, let me paraphrase it. So Joshua says, in light of what the Lord has done for you, never failed, brought you all the way, these gods in Egypt and these gods of the Amorites and, and all these other uh, uh, pagans, would you rather serve them, place yourself under authority to them, allow them to conquer you and be your head? Would you, would you like to serve them or would you like to serve the God who has fought the battles for you and brought you all the way and treated you like this and loved you like this and given you houses you didn't build and, and gardens you didn't plant? And, and before they have a chance to answer, he says, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to be subject to him. We're going to be subject to another. We're going to realize that we have given up our rights and that we are in subjection to him. Many years ago now, I was in northern Ontario at some gospel meetings on a, an island in James Bay. And on this little island is a little assembly called the Cree Gospel Chapel. It is not really associated with the assemblies as you and I might know them, started by Northern Canada Evangelical Mission, very solid work, and uh, has continued on for years and years and years. It has been my privilege since the early 80s to be involved in ministry among those dear Cree Indians, the nationals there. 
had some gospel meetings, got back home a few hours, well, many hours away, and to get, to get a phone call to say that one of the couples who were expecting their firstborn, um, the, first, the firstborn had, had, had a stillbirth, had died at birth, and they wondered if I could come and take the funeral. So I went back up and, uh, and to take the funeral, and it was the most unusual thing that happened. Uh, first of all, there's no funeral homes. We're in isolation. There, there's no uh, people that do funerals. You do your own funeral. They go to the hospital. They get the little baby. They, the grandfather makes a little casket to put the baby in the casket. And you go to the little chapel. At that time, it was made out of probably half-inch plywood a building about the size of one of these annexes over here and with a 100 watt light bulb hanging in the middle and a wood stove in the corner. This is in January. They make ice roads up there so you can drive over to the island in the winter. It's one of the easiest ways to get there. So there we are huddled in there. We have a funeral for this little baby. And after the funeral, we go to the cemetery, and the uncle and the grandfather had taken picks through that frozen ground and dug a grave. And they put the little casket into the grave. We had what we call a graveside service, and then they filled the grave up. And when that first shovel full of dirt hit that little coffin, oh, I tell you, I just about lost it. It was a very emotional situation. It was their first child. So we, after the, after the uh, uh, graveyard, we went to a home. It was a small home. Everybody couldn't get in, but as many people as could crowded into that home, and the mother of this little baby said, I have a testimony to give. She said, I knew that I was expected to have the baby during the gospel meeting, so I asked the Lord, Lord, please uh, postpone uh, the delivery so I could go to the gospel meetings. I so wanted to go to the gospel meetings. I shuddered when she gave that testimony because I talked to the nurse in the hospital and I said, what was wrong with the baby? said, Joe, there wasn't anything wrong with the baby. It was just in the womb too long. It was post-mature. Then the father gave a testimony. The father said, I didn't want to go to the gospel meetings. He said, I was away at work. And then I heard my wife had gone to the hospital. By the time I got there, our son was dead. He said, I went home. I went to the room. We had a room fixed up. We had a crib. We had it painted. We had the wallpaper. We had the blankets and the little outfit that he's coming home in. He said, I knelt down beside that crib, and he said, I never cried so much in my life. And while I was kneeling there, he said, I sensed the presence of God and of the devil. It's as though the devil was on one side of the crib and God was on the other. And this is what he gives as a testimony. 
He said, I spoke right out loud. I said, devil, you show me what you got for me. And God, you show me what you got for me. For today I will choose. <clears throat> he said, as I looked at that empty crib, I knew that's all the devil had for me. Death and separation. Little did I know what was going on in his life or his heart as we walked away just moments earlier, really, from that gravesite. I put my arm around his shoulder and I called him by name and I said, Ronald, this is not the end, I said. I know it looks like the end, but I said, you will see your son again. As he looked at the empty crib, he said, that's, that's all I could think. The devil has nothing for me. And then he said, I remembered a verse. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. He that believeth in me... <laughs> She'll never die. He said, I choose the Lord. I don't know if you've ever made a, that clear of a moment in your life or not. I believe that's what Joshua's trying to get the nation to do, at least the representatives of the nation that he has called in this meeting. Clear. Not to choose is to choose not to serve. I was saved in 1970. And I wrote it in this Bible November the 13th, 1983. Say, well, that's 13 years later. Yeah, I know. I know. 13 years later, I'm beginning to understand what this is all about. I'm beginning to understand what I said I was doing when I said, Lord, I would serve you all the days of my life. So I thought, well, there's no better place to write it than right here. So I wrote it. And I said, I choose to serve the Lord, and I initialed it. I don't think this is something you have to do every day, okay? Ann and I will be married 40 years in May. We thank God for that. There are many times during the 40 years that I had to remind myself that I was married. <laughs> but I never had to marry her again. I think this is something you come to grips with. This is a, an intelligent, rational decision based on the Word of God, based on your own experience. It's not a second blessing. But it comes a time in, in your life when you say, I'm in. I'm in. 
Perhaps you have a day, perhaps you don't. I, I'm not saying you've got to have one. But Joshua is bringing them to a crossroad. Choose. And he said, don't worry about me because I've already chosen. Joshua is a man of decision, as for me and my house. He was a man of determination. We will. He was a man of devotion. We will serve the Lord. We just need more people like Joshua. You know, <clears throat> sometimes people don't get saved till later in life. And they might be in their 60s, 70s, 80s, or even 90s before they understand some of these truths. It's never too late. When the Spirit of God grips you and you get a hold of this thing, then you make that rational, logical decision Mark it somewhere. That's what Joshua is going to tell them to do. Mark it. Okay, so the people in verse 16, they, they answered and they said, uh, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For verse 17, for the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. The Lord drave out from before us all of the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. It seems as though the people pick up on this. They said, yeah, you're right. Yes, I can hear the amens as, as Joshua is challenging them, you know. That's right, Joshua. That's right. That's right. So he says, you choose. Notice the urgency today. Today. A lot of things in the scriptures are that urgent. Today. Do you know that on some today, your eternal salvation hangs? And, and, and on some today, you will make decisions to serve the Lord Jesus. So they said, we're in. We're with you. Yes. You expect a drum roll, crescendo, clash of the cymbals. Yes, we're in. We agree. He fought. He did. He brought us. He won us. He cares for us. He loves us. He ran out the Amorites. We're here. Of course, this is the right thing to do. Joshua, we're going to serve him too. Verse 19. Joshua said, I've heard the wind blow before. <laughs> Did you ever make a promise to God you didn't keep? I'm going to tell you I have, and I'm ashamed of it. I wish I could remember how long it was on one in particular. I wasn't saved very long. I'm going to say it was, it was probably about eight or nine years later. I just forgot it. Every time I'd think about it, I'd get a little uncomfortable, but I'd say, well, it's too late now. You can't do that now until that conviction got a little greater and a little greater and a little greater. And one day I had to deal with that. 
I had to make that good. You, you know, God, God takes his covenant pretty serious. I think he takes ours pretty serious, too. Matter of fact, I, I can't remember where it is. Maybe Randy will remember, but there's some place that says it's better not to make a covenant than to make one and not keep it. It's better never to promise God you're going to do something and then not keep the promise. God holds you to that. I had to deal with that all those years later. Because I'd promised God. So Joshua says, well, uh, this, I've heard this before. You, you say this all the time. Uh, as we know, especially in the wilderness wandering, there, there was always this cycle, wasn't it? This cycle of, of sin and then repentance and then restoration and then blessing and then doubt and then fear and then sin and then here we go again. So he said, I've heard this before, verse 19. Joshua said unto the people, you cannot serve the Lord, uh, your, uh, the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, he has done you good. Joshua says, you remember that God that fought for you? You remember the one who ran off the enemy and, uh, and who brought you into this land, the one who is always on your side? I tell you what, he'll turn on you. You go out here and serve these other gods? Well, the New Testament counterpart of that is if we're friends with the world, we're enemy with God, right? My goodness. Can't serve two masters. God said, come on. He won't forgive your sins. He won't treat you good. He'll turn and do you hurt or harm. He knows how to deal with you. There's judgment. There's punishment. There's retribution. If you turn and serve these strange gods. Verse 21. People said, no, you, you've got it wrong. And the people said unto Joshua, no, no, that's not it. But we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen you, the Lord, to serve him. And they said, Yes, yes, we're witnesses. He says, Okay, can I use your testimony as a witness against you? Yeah. Yeah, they said, Yeah, that's that's right. So that'd be like this. Let's just say we'll start over here and we'll say, Okay, um, Anybody can give a testimony now of how they love the Lord and they're going to serve the Lord and everybody else is going to write it down. And then we're going to hold them to it. Their words are going to be a witness against them. And they said, yeah, of course. That's what we want to do. We want to serve the Lord. So verse 23, so Joshua says, okay, if that's the case, if you're really serious, you're willing to stand up and say, I choose the Lord to serve him and for others to hold you to it. Then he says in verse 23, Now therefore put away the strange gods which are among you and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. See, everything in the Christian life um, is based on faith. 
So we, we say we trust the Lord Jesus, but if we really trust the Lord Jesus, there's evidence that we've trusted the Lord Jesus. Faith has evidence, substance. So if I say I choose to serve the Lord, there must be some evidence. That's just the way that goes. It's not I'd say it, it is I say it and by the grace of God I do it. So he says, if you really mean that you want to serve the Lord, he said, what are you doing with all those strange gods in your closet? Put them away. Who we don't want to get too personal here, do we? <laughs> oh me. You say, now look, I, I, I don't have any gods in my life. I, I don't have any strange gods in my life. If you've got any, they're strange, okay? <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> gods of money. False security, of course. Possessions, things, family, wives, children, education, you name it. Trinkets and tinsels, sticks and bricks. Within themselves, in the right order of things, perhaps nothing wrong, but out of order. Someone said, water and fire are man's two best friends, unless they get out of control, then there is two worst enemies. So things must be in priority. I wouldn't bore you with all my personal stories, but the Lord has dealt with me, and could I say, is presently dealing with me. We should all wear the button, right? Be patient. God's not through with me yet. Okay. In areas of my life. Mine would be different from areas of your life. None of us would call them gods, but if we're not careful, they take a lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of energy. Got to be careful. The Lord is dealing with you in any area of your life as he has and is dealing with me in areas of my life. We need to respond to that. Not justify it, rationalize it, excuse it, just deal with it. If I'm going to let my words be a witness, then I need to deal with saying there's a cost. There was a cost for the Lord Jesus. There was a cost for just about everyone of the of the men highlighted in the scriptures there's always a cost for them and it'll be a cost for us put them away people verse 24 the people said to joshua the lord our god will we serve in his voice will we obey i, I don't i don't know you know you can't get it any simpler than that jesus said if a man loved me he'll keep my words If a man loves me, he will obey my commands. If you love me, there will be an outward manifestation of that love. Love is manifested in giving, basically. Give, 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 give. And love is manifested in obedience. Obey, 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 obey. Next time you sing trust and obey, try to smile, okay? Try. We sing it like a funeral dirge sometimes. 
trust and obey where there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. <laughs> but there is no other way. Come on. This is, this is what the Lord expects. So they said, okay, we're in. We're going to serve him. We're going to obey him. Verse 25. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and he set them a statue and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it has heard all of the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall therefore be a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. So there where the sanctuary was in Shechem, I'm assuming there's a trail, a path, an avenue. And Joshua had a great stone set there along the way. And as these people would come to the place of remembrance and worship, there's a stone. And they go, oh, I remember that day. Yeah, that's the day that I made an intelligent, rational, logical decision to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to serve our God in the Old Testament account. It's a witness against me. I think that's one of the reasons I wrote it over here. I put a stone under an oak on my page in my Bible. I don't know if you have a special place you go in your yard or your house, if there's a place that you retreat to to be quiet and get away, or if there's a place that you often pass, and you know, we're not like the Israelites, we don't strap on our phylacteries and all these little things, you know, but nevertheless, what's wrong with a reminder? How about Sunday morning? There's a stone there. The rock of our salvation. He knows everything. Isn't it great just to go and be reminded of all that he has done? Wow. Just be caught up with him again. Let him win our hearts again. Let our hearts melt again. Go back to the beginning again. Let it be new and fresh again. Stone under an oak. Well, the last verse that I'm going to take up is verse 28. So Joshua let the people depart, every man unto his inheritance. That's it for me. <laughs> go home. No, oh, Randy's preaching next. Don't go home yet. But go home. Go to your assemblies. Go to your ministries. Go to your relatives. Go to the family of God. Go back and exercise your gift. Go back and enjoy your inheritance. 
Go back, and as you're going back, put a stone under an oak somewhere. This is the day. Maybe you already have one. Maybe you need one. I don't know. I trust that the Lord will loose you to be all that he's created you to be. Don't be bound. And you know the truth. The truth sets you free. Free to live for him. Free to serve him. Free to enjoy him. Not under the Old Testament law, but a greater one, the law to Christ. The law of love. We do it because we love him, don't we? Then by the grace of God, wherever your inheritance is in the body of Christ, by way of application, go back and be subject to him. Serve him all the days of your life. Go on. Go on. Lord, thank you for just confronting us again with the claims of our Lord Jesus. Just reminding us of the beauty that is in him and our love responsibility to him. Thank you for giving us, like Jonah, a second chance. Word of the Lord's come a second time. Thank you for working with us when we're so unfaithful. Thank you for giving us grace and we realize we don't deserve it. Thank you for being with us and whispering in our ear that you won't leave, that you're always with us. Thank you for strengthening the weak When the youth fall, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk. That's what we're going to do, Lord. We're going to walk now. Perhaps we've so enjoyed this exclusive atmosphere we've recharged our batteries but we're going back into a hostile environment we need to walk and not be weary strengthen these dear ones lord thank you for their testimonies for their love for you for their lives of service we pray that they will finish strong in the lord determining to serve him by the grace of God. These things we ask in the name of the rock of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.